This episode of Ruthless Passive Aggression is brought to you by Shady Dave's Used Cars. Bad credit? No problem. Money issues? Not an issue anymore. Don't want a car? Too bad. You're getting one anyway. Shady Dave's offers you the best in used cars that you can find within a half mile radius. And guess what? Shady Dave's offers you a free quarter tank of gas with every deal. I am so glad that I found Shady Dave's used cars. Wait, what's that smell? Oh my God, what is that? That's right, at Shady Dave's, if you find a body in the trunk of your new vehicle, there's no No down payment. Of course, Shady Dave's is not a real place of business. However, if you have something you would like advertised on our show, hit us up at ruthlesspassiveaggression at gmail.com. Who has enough ruthless aggression? This is Ruthless Passive Aggression with your host, Jake Drake and the Wrestle Bucket. Welcome to Ruthless Passive Aggression, the podcast where we take a passive look at the good, the bad, and the worst of the golden age of grappling, the Ruthless Aggression Era. I'm Drake Jackson. I'm Jake Edwards. Matt Hardy dislikes snow and ice. I am the Wrestle Bucket. Is that the uh, is that the Matt fact for tonight? It is for sure on this pay-per-view. No way out. As you said in the last episode, last stop before WrestleMania, uh, we cut it off just in time to start off this little chunk of content with a Matt Hardy match. Yeah, this is, this is of course, No Way Out 2003, um, part two, if part one was released earlier. Go back and listen to that and make sure, hey, you know what? Go back and listen to all the podcasts. They're pretty good. I think they're okay. Drake worked really hard editing those together, and Bucket and I worked really hard to talk about it. Yeah, I don't know about working really hard. It's it, it, it's fun. We we have a good time, but we also yeah. we we like we like to be successful too. Right. So, right where we left off, as Bucket was saying, Human Affliction T-shirt. Josh Matthews interviews Matt Hardy <laughs> backstage about Matt losing weight for the cruiserweight title match. Uh, Matt sees his brother Jeff and tells him that if he'd follow Mattitude, Jeff wouldn't lose every match, and then Jeff slaps Matt. Um, I remember this being in a lot of video packages and, like, when I'd go on YouTube and look up, like, Hardy Boys tribute video or, like, (laughs) Jeff Hardy tribute video or anything. It was always, like, a slow-motion Jeff slapping Matt. It's it's a big moment in the Hardy Hardy Boys feud that uh, Mm -hmm. I'm sure only made a big difference to the people making those videos and never was actually referenced in the WWE universe, but... It was a fun, fun moment. One of the first videos I ever edited, probably the second video I ever edited in my life, was a Jeff Hardy tribute video that is still hidden somewhere on YouTube. Maybe I'll send you guys a link to it, but I'm not letting it see the light of day. From It's set to Other Side by the Red Hot Chili Peppers. And it is the, I still can't figure out my login info for the account that it was posted under, so I can't delete it or anything. I just don't tell people where it is. (laughs) And that slap is in there. Was it in slow motion? I believe so. (laughs) First hand account. I just found this account like a couple of months ago, and I was like, oh shit, that's still up. But like, since wrestling is so popular and it's been up for so long, some of the videos have like, 
20,000 views for no reason. And I'm like, well, you can't argue with success, I guess. <laughs> but it's just like shitty gifts that I downloaded off LimeWire and stuff set to music in Windows Movie Maker. You need to go and redown or like get your account info so you can start making some money off that. Get some AdSense. I know. Well, you can't monetize wrestling on YouTube, but that's a whole other story. Or the music. It's simulated sure. violence. Oh, yeah. The music would probably be a big thing, too. <laughs> But that leads us to Billy Kidman versus Matt Hardy. Billy Kidman is defending the Cruiserweight Championship. And as we discussed on the last episode, Matt Hardy's been obsessed with losing 10 pounds so he can go after Billy Kidman's Cruiserweight title. Matt Hardy's not a Cruiserweight. Also, as this match starts, we get our first glimpse of Michael Cole and Taz at the announce table. And Michael Cole is rocking a handlebar mustache with a small soul patch. And Taz is rocking a beard with no mustache. And together, they form a full goatee. (laughs) And Michael Cole is wearing the leather jacket that Ric Flair should have been wearing in the Evolution segment earlier in the show. So He found it. Canonically, in the Ruthless Passive Aggression universe, Michael Cole does find clothes backstage and just puts them on. Big Show's clothes, Ric Flair. He, he shows up to the arena naked and is like, I'll, I'll find some when I get there. And then just starts putting more clothes on as the night goes on. Um, I thought you were about to say that Michael Cole was secretly Ric Flair, so I thought you were about to imply that he was the Ric Flair on the, the train photo. And that's an even oh, scarier thought. Well, we didn't see the frosted tips, so <laughs> I think he's safe. Um, did you guys hear Taz in this match? I don't know what he was on, but he says that Matt Hardy has lost a lot of weight because he's, quote, laying off the banana juice. <laughs> yes. And he says that Matt Hardy is slippery because he loves him, he rubs himself in nut butter. <laughs> and then Michael Cole runs down several countries that the pay-per-view is in. He says, Lebanon, Jordan, the UK, we're everywhere. And Taz says... Don't forget England, and Cole says, that's the UK, Taz. <laughs> he, he's like, hey, Cole, you know that uh, Matt Hardy loves BJ's? What? What, Taz? Yeah, banana juice, Cole. <laughs> he's just trying to shoehorn in all these jokes. I bet on the headset they were like, Taz, please stop. <laughs> Where was this Taz on, like, AEW... Elevation or any of the shows that he's commentary on. That would be phenomenal to get that Taz back. He's refined his commentary. It's a lot better now. Yeah, in this show, he was just talking about Waffle House, like, the entire time. Yeah. TNT does not approve of banana juice, I guess. Uh, The announcers argue that Kidman is used to being a cruiserweight, whereas Matt isn't used to being a cruiserweight. Like, Matt Hardy's, like, some big powerhouse. (laughs) They're like, he's going to have to change up his style. And I think they're forgetting, like, the entire Hardy Boys run. Do you not remember Matt Hardy's style over a year ago, guys? Um, modern-day wrestling fans would recognize that the current weight limit that defines a cruiser rate weight is two, 205, 205 pounds. you got to be less than that to be a cruiserweight. But if I heard correctly, with uh, my little hearing receptacles uh it was 220 pounds back at this time yes 220 so like did they bump that up just so they could realistically like for a shoot have matt hardy do that like what what's i mean i guess it's a really arbitrary difference right like what's the difference between 220 pounds and 205 pounds i just found that 
you know, with my, yeah. Yeah, 205 wasn't introduced until the cruiserweight tournament that comes way later when they crown TJP as the first cruiserweight champion. I think, I think it was always 220, and then for some reason they were like 205. Maybe it's because although their people nowadays were very small people, I mean, right. Seth Rollins is practically a cruiserweight. Like, or two twenty live didn't have the ring to it. <laughs> very true. Bucket had already mentioned one of the Matt facts on t- uh, the the top mm-hmm. of the show, um, but he did miss that Matt takes his hot tea with milk and sweetener. Um, you got to find a way to stay warm when it's that. That's so cold and, and blizzardy outside. Blizzardy is a real mm-hmm. word, I promise. But this was a this was a fun match. I know that you know we just kind of referenced that Matt had kind of a cruiserweight style leading up, but he did kind of a good job of being a contrast to to Billy's high flying moves. He was a lot more ground based throughout this match. Yeah, for sure. There was a lot of really good like face and heel dynamics here too, where like every single time it seems like Kidman's about to get back into things, Hardy cuts him off. Jake paused this match, took me off of his lap, and placed me on the couch just to force show me a a video of Matt Hardy stripping naked in the build up to this match. Excuse me? That was a real thing that happened. That was the only way he could make weight. He was sitting with... Yeah. Was, it was probably Brian Hebner or one of... Maybe Mike Kyoto, One of the refs in the back, and they were trying to weigh him, and Matt was, like, staying at, like, 221. And so Matt, like, took off his shirt and then took off his pants. And then finally he takes off his underwear, and they kind of censor his dingus. <laughs> and finally he makes the 220... And he gets so excited and starts jumping up and down and Shannon Moore standing right next to him. And so you do what any friend does. You go up and you give him a big hug. So Matt <laughs> ran up and gave Shannon a big old nudie hug because he was so happy that he could <laughs> compete for the cruiserweight title. Jake was so inspired by this hug. He said, Bucky, get over here. We need a hug. And I was like, not after <laughs> watching that video, we're not. It's just guys being dudes. who doesn't do that when they make their weight you got it you got to hug it out as as daniel bryan and kane would say you got to hug it out yeah shannon moore is a really underrated part of matt hardy's whole act here the mfr yeah during the match shannon moore gets up on the apron hardy sacrifices shannon moore by shoving kidman into moore and then hitting the side effect for a near fall Kidman uses more on the apron to do a running bulldog onto Hardy, then goes up top for the shooting star press, and Matt moves. Matt hits the twist of fate. Kidman kicks out. Uh, and I was like, you know, I was already typing in my notes. Oh, Matt Hardy wins with the twist of fate. And then Kidman kicked out, and I was like, are you kidding me? Like, I don't know how many times the twist of fate gets kicked out of, but I was drawn in at that point. I feel so bad for Billy Kidman. He was, you know, very technically proficient in this match. Like, they were just jamming on that R2 reversal button, and everything looked real pretty. I just always forget that Kidman exists, because Kidman is not a big deal in the Attitude Era around 98 when I watched as a 
a little baby bucket myself. And Kidman is gone by the time I start watching in the mid-2000s. So he's in a really, like, almost in my view as a wrestling fan, he's, like, in this dead sea. And I just, I... I mean, things worked out for him, employed by the company for a very long time as a, as a non-competitor. But just seeing how uh, good he was here, it's, it's I'm not a big fan of Doctor Who, but I am aware that there's like this alien or interdimensional being in Doctor Who where when you're looking at them, you're like, oh, my God, you're that thing. And then the moment you look away, you forget that they exist. It's a, like a real high <laughs> sci-fi thing. And that is Billy Kidman to me. And that's not fair. <laughs> Billy Kidman's the weeping angel of pro wrestling. It's kind of a badass nickname. Um, Michael Cole refers to the shooting star press at one point in this match as pro wrestling's prettiest finisher. And he's completely wrong about that because Billy Kidman's shooting star press is the ugliest damn shooting star press in the business. We hadn't seen a lot of the big cruiserweights that do that stuff today. Like, I mean... Neville doing, sorry, Pack doing the Black Arrow would blow Michael Cole's mind. He would have to go home and like regroup. <laughs> he would immediately take off all of Ric Flair's clothes, walk out into the snow of Quebec, never to be seen again. Um, this this match was a uh, a pretty good. My favorite thing about it is like even though this was years in the past, I was like really compelled by the storyline. Uh, can mm-hmm. Matt keep the weight off? As as someone who's taken on a lot of water and has had weight issues of their own, like I'm not going to make any comment about later actual real world weight issues that Matt Hardy uh, would go on to have. But um, as a storyline in 2003, this is one of the neatest things they ever did with the cruiserweight title. Yeah. Um, for the finish, Matt Hardy sets up Kidman for a superplex. Kidman knocks Hardy off and lines up for the shooting star press, but Moore gets up on the apron. Kidman knocks Shannon Moore off, but Matt hits the twist of fate off the top rope for the win, and Matt Hardy is the new cruiserweight champion. Such a beautiful spot. And then Kidman did such a fantastic job of selling that. Remember that elaborate plan Kurt Angle was about to tell Team Angle when the cameras cut away earlier that we discussed on the last episode? Well, the plan was to beat the living shit out of Edge. They committed murder, boys! (laughs) Edge is found unconscious backstage with Brock Lesnar, Chris Benoit, Stephanie McMahon, and a paramedic checking on him. It looks like Edge will not be in the six-man tag later on. Uh, in real life, this is Edge being written off so he can go have neck surgery. Takes him out for a while. So we've lost Edge and William Regal on this show for a while. Uh, he sustained the injury way back in a no-DQ match on SmackDown against Eddie Guerrero around the time we started this podcast. And since then, he's been having neck issues and putting off surgery. The final blow that made him decide to get the surgery is that his arms are going numb and he doesn't want to drop anyone and injure them. It's crazy that he's thinking about other people and not about himself in that situation. God damn it. I love Adam Copeland so much. This is the beginning of Edge's neck and spine problems that lead to his first retirement in 2011. But that has a happy ending. We're not there yet, but... It does. In the prologue, or no, in the epilogue of the story, that is Edge. Everything's fine. Don't you worry. 
we discussed that on our first episode because Edge returns from the Royal Rumble. And please let me remind you, go back and listen to the old episodes. You already listened to them? Listen to them again. Who cares? Who gives a shit? Nothing's real. If you want to let us know that you went back and watched those episodes, tweet us <laughs> at RPA Pod and just say yes. Tell us if Edge won the Royal Rumble. I don't know if anyone's done that for us yet. <laughs> no, no context, yes or no. You guys have been able to make that, that reference, and I haven't yet, and I am so happy. <laughs> yes. The next match, SmackDown presents Big Show with Paul Heyman versus The Undertaker. Why? Why, why does Paul Heyman hate us so much? Undertaker crashed into that equipment below. This is a very serious situation. He's back! The Phenom making his return! Just being injured by the Big Show! I got one thing on my mind, and it's revenge. You see, the dead man's got a new philosophy since he's been back. And that is, just shut up and fight. So for once in your life, Big Show, be a man and fight me. Uh, Excuse me, sir. The Big Show is not here tonight. However, the Big Show has sent you a personal message. Oh, he's really, really sorry. Yes, he's really, really sorry. The Big Show is not here tonight. However, this gift will convince The Undertaker. I bring to you a message to forgive The Big Show. Oh, Brother Love slammed. The Undertaker did not want to hear any of it. I think this requires a little bit of culture. In the build-up to this, Big Show and Paul Heyman become prop comics, and they're just out there on SmackDown doing bits. Uh, Undertaker wants revenge on Big Show for putting him out of action shortly after Hell in a Cell. Uh, Undertaker came back at the Rumble, 
And Paul Heyman promises Brian Kendrick his big break. Brian Kendrick's on the pod now. Leonardo Spanky. Uh, Taker calls out Big Show only for Heyman to deliver Brian Kendrick dressed as a bellhop on a children's bike. He's there to deliver a singing telegram. And then on Steve Austin's podcast, Kendrick says that Vince wasn't sold on the segment. So Pritchard made Brian Kendrick interrupt the pre-show meeting and do the I'm really, really sorry song. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, man. Uh, uh, Not only do we get the introduction of uh, Spanky to a worldwide wrestling audience. Speaking of Bruce Pritchard, uh, if you come out of a box, you're automatically over. You You are so over if you become come out of a box and continuing their line of being carrot top. Now they just introduce these crates via crane into the ring uh, for undertaker to open and brother love is in one before anyone knew who Bruce Prissard was before he was a very successful podcaster. Uh, I don't remember. Was was the crowd even aware of who Brother Love was at that point? Like, I mean, I'm I, sure they remember yeah. him from back in the '80s. I mean, he had his own his own segments back back in Superstars or whatever. And he managed Undertaker for a period of time, and so they they call back to that as well. But yeah, it's just these big wooden crates, and Undertaker keeps having to open big wooden crates. I remember this gets put in one of the SmackDown games in story mode. Is it really? And like, yeah, you have to like choose which crate you're going to open and shit like that. Um, But the week after that, Undertaker has a giant wooden box from Paul Heyman, and he opens it, and it's Canyon from WCW who has been out since the invasion with an injury. And then... Canyon tries to assault Undertaker, and Undertaker beats him up. And I mean really beats him up. Chair shots, I mean, like, these chair shots, Undertaker did not take care of Canyon at all. Um, But I don't really know how to tackle this because we're a more lighthearted podcast, but this is what happened. Uh, Canyon had recently come out as gay, and... You know, he had been struggling with that his whole life, and he had a character in mind of being a gay man, but not a stereotype. And so in the build to this, he he pitched that character and was turned down. But then when he got to SmackDown that day, he was told that his return would be him popping out of a box dressed as Boy George and doing a version of the song. Do you really want to hurt me? Yeah, that was it. It was it was that song. Um, and so he would come out and sing that song and flirt with the undertaker and then the undertaker would beat him up. Um, and that, that's exactly what happened. But if you watch this episode of SmackDown on the network, what happens is undertaker opens the box, Canyon steps out and they've inserted the audio from a WCW promo where, so Canyon's holding the mic and then it cuts to undertaker's face really close and he says, hey, it's me. Who better than Canyon? And I'm gonna... And then he says something about beating up someone. And then they cut to Canyon taking a swing at Undertaker. And then Undertaker beats him up. So they've cut out and scrubbed from the network. It, and it's an awful edit once it's pointed out. Like, you can tell, like, uh, something's wrong here. But they've completely cut that out. And so for all of you that are like, hey... The network's unedited and raw and 
you know, a great place for wrestling. They are sneaking in those edits. That's some revisionist history right there. Yep. It's okay. So I now that I think about it, watching the the pay per view recap, I remember seeing somebody dress up as Boy George. I don't remember it being Canyon, but that's mm-hmm. that's so disappointing. And oh, it's awful. And just that makes me so angry and yeah. and upset for him because I'm sure it took a lot of guts for that guy to come one to admit to his coworkers at a time when. That wasn't very acceptable. Two, try to pitch an idea to make this this lifestyle that many don't see okay. Try to normalize it by making it into a storyline. Um, yeah. And then they decide. And they took that gimmick idea and put it on Billy and Chuck. Yeah. Beat that to death. Did a shitty job with that. And then yeah. make him dress up as Boy George. Like somebody that many people at the time would just automatically assume is gay. But no. just see it in a bad way. That's that's really disappointing. Well, and Boy George was the butt of so many jokes in the media at that time. Right. Like, I remember growing up at that point, my only exposure to Boy George was, like, late-night monologues. Where, like, Jay Leno would make fun of someone for dressing as a woman or something. And it would be a Boy George reference or something. So that was my only, like, I didn't even really hear Boy George's music or anything at that point. And they they just wanted to kind of turn Canyon into this big, you know, stereotype by proxy. Shout out to AEW for being very inclusive um, with people like yes. Sunny Kiss and, and a lot of people, uh, Nyla Rose. They do a really good job of being inclusive and being allies in the wrestling business, um, unlike their counterparts. So, yeah, shout out to them. I don't know if WWE instantly regretted it because it seemed like the next week they're like, oh, look, here's a puppy. Like to get your mind off of what happened (laughs) or if they were just going to do that anyway. Yeah, I was real nervous because it was a it was a small puppy. Undertaker is presented with two huge wooden crates. He's suspicious and crate one contains that puppy. And I was like. And that is a small dog. I hope a brawl doesn't break out and he just like drops the dog or something. I I don't know. Come here, puppy then, dog. I'm gonna I'm gonna make you my <laughs> puppy dog. You me my boy. Just know that I'm the big dog and this is my yard. Your name's Joe. Your name's Joe in Hawaii. You're my you're my you're my <laughs> puppy now. So Undertaker begins blindly attacking crate number two. But then Big Show slides in and attacks him. It's like some weird, <laughs> elaborate setup. Where just imagine Big Show and Paul Heyman sitting backstage and being like, "All right, do you have the crate guys? That dude with the forklifts here. Uh, I'm not going to be in there. I'm going to be sitting in the crowd reading a newspaper. No one will know that the Big Show's back there, and I'll just slide in and attack him." It's it's the opposite of a Trojan horse. It's an actual it's an actual <laughs> diversion. <laughs> Yeah, that's like if they sent the Trojan horse into the front gates of where they were attacking and then just decided to run in beside it. I love these Greek literary references. We need more of these. So anyway, let's talk about this dumpster fire of a wrestling match. Yeah, it was pretty bad. Undertaker immediately does his backflip ring exit. They start fighting on the outside. Big Show slams Taker into the ring pose. Then the barricade... The match is all big man strikes, just the two of them hit after hit. And I've seen Lesnar versus Big Show and Lesnar versus Undertaker, and I know that like the big man formula can be done well in this era. 
And also, Undertaker's quit dyeing his hair for the time being, and it's weird seeing him as like a big ginger. Booger Red. He's he's literally Booger Red yeah. in this case. <laughs> Jake, as a big ginger, how do you feel about that statement? <laughs> <laughs> There's a sign in the crowd during this match that says, Jake Roberts is my dad. And, dude, why would you brag about that? Um, <laughs> that was Lance Archer. <laughs> There's a, uh, that was Lance Archer holding you that sign. Um, they call Undertaker the big dog in his big yard, which is, um, you know, foreshadowing, I suppose, uh, to the torch-passing moment. They were building Roman already. Uh, big Show has red underwear. In this match, I yeah, booger red. <laughs> they got the shrimpiest man I've ever seen the ref this match just to make everybody's theme even bigger. Oh yeah, and he gets like poked in the eye, <laughs> like gets hit, and the refs like gathering himself, and they're like kicking each other in the balls and everything. It's just the Undertaker theme for matches in this era is like beat the shit out of the referee. And it's, I'm pretty sure it's Earl Hebner's kid, so the crowd was probably really into Brian Hebner getting beat up in this match. Oh, yeah. He's, like, running in the air away from the big scary monsters like he's Shaggy from Scooby-Doo. Like, I, I, <laughs> I could not take my eyes off this referee, which probably makes him a bad ref, like, because you're not supposed to notice them doing their magic behind there. But I was just watching him. Right. And he was always getting knocked out of the way. Uh, he was always in the way while making a three count, like placing his body yeah. in between the camera and the wrestlers. I just, uh, he's the unsung hero of this match. Sylvain <laughs> yeah. so Grenier did a better job of being a referee than the actual <laughs> referee did during this pay-per-view. Well, and so at one point, Taker reverses a slam into a dragon sleeper because they're really trying to get that over as a finish because this is kind of when Taker starts watching MMA. And he's like, oh, yeah, I could do that. Heyman hops up on the apron. Taker breaks the hold to go after him. And then toot, toot, A-Train <laughs> is back. A-Train rolling down the line. <laughs> he tries to run in, but Undertaker stops him. And then Taker hits his dive over the ropes onto Heyman and A-Train. And I'm going to take a break here because here's something I read from the dirt sheets. A-Train's brief push is failing in the eyes of people backstage, and there are rumors that the blame is all on Edge for not getting him over enough. Thus, Edge might be punished. This was before Edge went away for injury. Undertaker becomes the first person to kick out of A-Train's derailer just on a random SmackDown, and then A-Train loses to Benoit twice in the build to No Way Out, and that's the only time we see him. He loses one of those times in under two minutes. I mean, he did an awful job trying to catch Taker during that over-the-top rope dive. So Why do you do this spot, Mark? No one ever <laughs> catches you. <laughs> Jimmy Snuka's kid can't catch you. A-Train can't catch you. The only person that's capable of doing it that I've seen so far is fucking Paul Heyman. And that says something about the move. A-Train's wearing a stupid gold chain. And uh, in other jewelry news, uh, Jake told me that Big Show hasn't been able to get off his uh, pinky ring um, because he's so big at this point. Wedding ring. That he wore on his pinky? Was it his, <laughs> no, it's, on, it's his wedding ring finger, right? I choose to ignore your facts and truth and because I really <laughs> like the idea of Big Paul with a big pinky ring. And Michael Cole has been just, like, badgering him to get it off. He's like, come on, I want to wear it at the next pay-per-view. 
where is he wearing it though? That's yeah. That's the question because that it'll fit around his wrist. Yeah, that's that's where I was going with that. Yes. Uh, so Big Show choke slams Undertaker. Taker locks in a triangle choke until Big Show passes out, and Undertaker wins. Undertaker grabs a chair after the match to assault Big Show, but A Train runs in and hits the A Train bomb on Taker, and A Train stands tall. I can't believe we saw Hell's Gate as early as 2003. Yeah, isn't that crazy? That, that was one that really threw me off because I remember how big of a deal Hell's Gate was in 2007 or whenever Ricky Guerrero made it an illegal move. But it was like, oh, he was doing this in like the early days of MMA. So Edge gets stretchered out of the building. And then Eric Bischoff and Chief Morley try and come up with a match type to get the advantage on Austin. But Vince McMahon shows up. And says he is impressed with Bischoff's karate. So if anyone interferes in Austin versus Bischoff, they will be fired. It will be one on one. So the deal with Chris Jericho was all for nothing. Chief Morley giving me some really strong restaurant manager Baron Corbin vibes in this segment. <laughs> yeah, Chief Morley looks like he's about to say, So how are we doing on breadsticks over here? <laughs> it's really weird to see uh, Easy E dressed like Ken Masters calling himself the Karate King. He's probably running around like Spongebob Squarepants saying Karate. I mean, he didn't say Karate, but he said it in a weird way, in a similar way. Match five, SmackDown. Team Angle with Paul Heyman versus Brock Lesnar and Chris Benoit, three on two. They didn't find a new partner, or they didn't want to. I think that's what they went with, is that they just figured they could do it three on two. Um, so in the build up to this, Benoit beats Charlie Haas in a really good match. Edge beats Shelton Benjamin. Angle gets pissed and yells at Team Angle for losing too much. And then Benjamin and Haas, you know, get better by becoming the new number one contenders for Los Guerreros. And then they have a banger of a match against Los Guerreros and win the WWE Tag Team Championships due to Paul Heyman interference on a random SmackDown. Really good match. I remember back in the day watching that and that's one i i meant to watch before this pay-per-view um it's crazy to see the position that charlie haas and shelton benchman are in at this point yeah for sure they've gotten a lot thrown at them very quickly um brock lesnar beats john cena on a smackdown and then calls out kurt angle and angle says they can have a match for the title next week and then lesnar finally gets the wwe title match against angle before mania and Angle says Lesnar must defeat Haas and Benjamin in singles matches first. And Lesnar beats Haas, then Benjamin, then Angle immediately uses a chair and DQs himself <laughs> in the third match. And then Edge and Benoit make the save, and this match is set up. Team Angle comes out for their entrance here, dripped in gold, hoods up, color-coordinated. It was one of the coolest things I've ever seen in my life. I kind of wanted oh, yeah. to commission an artist to do a oil painting of it so I could hang it in my den with the <laughs> with the vibes that I was getting off of it. Um, if this would have been happening in America, everyone would have loved it. But we are in Canada. They were sitting there and they weren't appreciating what they had in front of them. I cannot overstate to you how freaking cool they looked. Being a video guy, they uh, they had one kind of one of the smaller cameras, stable, like still shot cameras, um, set up behind the stage that they would take um, 
during certain points of the night and when they take the when Angle puts his arms up in the air and they take the pyro, um, they take that shot and that's that that was just a phenomenal shot. Made him look badass. That from behind shot is so good. They uh they end up using it in hype videos for Randy Orton when he starts doing the pose and like the rain shower comes down. Uh they did it a few times for when Jericho does the like arms up reverse angle so you could see his face and then the crowd behind him it, it's such a fun shot i wish they still did it today really hey AEW, bring that back <laughs> put it on the cody entrance put put it on cody's big magical door that he comes out of just strap it to that we'll we'll see how it looks definitely use it for cm punk we gotta get the cm punk reference in so yeah. take that during its clobbering time we'll be happy during this match, Benjamin and Haas do a lot of heavy lifting for Kurt Angle, which I think is smart because, I mean, the general audience doesn't know it right now, but Angle is hurt, and he's planning on leaving after WrestleMania and taking a lot of time off because, I mean, he is in a real bad way here. And then it, Brock makes it even worse during this match, where he, he yeah. legitimately breaks Kurt's neck. Yeah, it, it, it only gets worse as the build to mania goes on and like like he said his his neck gets broken in this match and i don't think it's immediately diagnosed i think it's something that they find out later so like we're potentially losing angle here spoiler alert we don't but like we just lost regal and edge as well the roster's dwindling at this point and they're going to start bringing in some other names to try to fill it out and it's going to be a lot of failed experiments that I can't wait to get to. Oh, the, the next like 3 or 4 years are just awful experiments that we will not yeah. remember unless we start doing podcasts like these. Speaking of failed experiments, what type of what type of catchphrase is toothless aggression? What is that? I hated this. That is a fun slogan for a fun guy. Okay? <laughs> That's what that is. As a uh, fan of the music of Chip Skylark and him having blatant disregard uh, for shiny teeth, um, I am not a fan of toothless aggression. Yes, I am making really dated Fairly Odd Parents uh, references. Stay tuned for the next pay-per-view when I talk about Doug Demodome, owner of the Dimsdale <laughs> Demodome. <laughs> Uh, I just hate how good Chris Benoit is. I just find any reason I can yeah. to uh, tear him down. I do not want to enjoy his work because that brings upon a wrestling fan some really complicated feelings. Oh, yeah. It's going to be tough around WrestleMania 20 because yeah. we're going to have to end every podcast with, but fuck that guy. <laughs> <laughs> Just so none of our stuff gets taken out of context or anything later on, we are an anti-Benoit podcast. We're not a pro-Benoit podcast. Put him in the Hall of Fame, goddammit. Hey, hey, don't start that. Don't start that. Demonetize. Thanks. We're going to lose what advertising we come back with, or we, we end up with, all right? This show's never going to get put on Peacock if you keep talking like that. <laughs> Oh my gosh, what else happens in this match? Uh, well, I'll tell you, Lesnar takes a nasty bump to the floor and Benjamin knocks him off the apron because Lesnar is ready to work. He is into this match. This was a very inspired Brock Lesnar during this time. And it's so weird to see an inspired Brock Lesnar inside the oh, yeah. squared circle. Full effort. Um, this, this match was a really, in my opinion, this was pro wrestling's love letter to amateur wrestling. 
Um, there was a lot of good grappling, a lot of a lot of good amateur wrestling, groundwork, all all, all of those terms. Um, but like every one of these guys has a good amateur background, and it shows. The uh, I mean, I already talked about how cool the aesthetic is of them being like a. Uh, collegiate wrestling team coming out looking like their team fox catcher um they also make references in this match um commentary acknowledges that uh shelton benjamin and brock lesnar used to be on the same wrestling team and now they have like insider information like oh yeah shelton knows all of his weaknesses and yeah, they uh, were friends yeah that was really cool yeah so i yeah i'd recommend watching this match just because of the story behind it and everything going into it, it's a lot like the SmackDown 6 tag matches where you can just throw in, and now you've got Haas and Benjamin to add to the mix. You can throw in any combo of dudes, and they just put on a clinic. And it that's really shown in the finish when Benoit locks Haas in the crossface, and Angle runs in with the title to break it up, but Lesnar F5's Angle, and Benoit makes Haas tap. But if I remember correctly, I think the setup for the crossface was crazy. The, the entire, like, last two or three minutes of the match was just all over the place, but it was very controlled chaos. Um, very well planned out, and camera work was fantastic. Um, all the guys involved were doing an excellent job leading up to that point. If there's something I could watch happen for hours and hours and hours, it's Kurt Angle reversing a crossface into an ankle lock and Chris Benoit doing it back. And then they could they could find a million different ways to do that, and I would watch it all day, and they do that in this match. I mean, this tag match was so good, I forgot who was on the front of this poster for a second. But fuck that guy. Yeah, right? <laughs> That's going to be our new catchphrase. That's our first shirt. <laughs> It's going to be a picture of Chris Benoit, and everyone's going to be like, oh, why do you have a Chris Benoit shirt? Why, why, would, why would you have a Chris Benoit shirt? And then you're like, wait, read the back. Fuck that and guy. It says, but fuck that guy. <laughs> and they're like, oh, okay, that's actually a good shirt. Wait, does it say B-U-T comma that guy? Fuck that yes. guy? Okay. So make sure yep. it doesn't say B-U-T-T fuck that guy. No, no. <laughs> <laughs> that's like the most South Park-ass joke I've ever heard in my life. <laughs> I don't want that on the back of a shirt. <laughs> oh, man. Well, now that we've hit that low, I don't think there's anywhere else we can go. But we're going to wrap it up for today. That's a good so call. Tune in, yeah, tune in on the next episode when we go over the three big main events, Triple H versus Scott Steiner, two, Steve Austin versus Eric Bischoff, and, of course, The Rock versus Hulk Hogan. And spoiler alert, no women's matches. Nope, none. Hey, we talked about Victoria in the build-up to this with the Widow's Peak, and we talked about Lisa from Tough Enough. We've hit our quota. Yep. <laughs> this is a ruthless aggression era. This is there's there's not too many women wrestling for some reason. There's no women's evolution in two thousand three. No. But we hope you enjoyed the podcast. Please give us a five-star rating. Tell your friends. Subscribe. Uh, just do whatever you can. Help us spread the word out. You know, we want to we make this podcast as big as possible. And we hope you're enjoying the content. Thanks for those that have stuck with us through everything. We love you all. I'm, uh, I'm the Wrestle Bucket. I'm Jake Edwards. And I'm Drake Jackson. We'll see you next time on Ruthless Passive Aggression when we look at part three of No Way Out 2003. 
Bye, buddies.